Broadcasting from the third coast and recorded live at Tripod South Studios, this is The Hango Show. I need to get inside your head. I got to know if you insane. I want to swim around your bloodstream. Right. I don't know what to tell you. Hey everybody, welcome to The Hango Show. This is your host, Hango Wood. And tonight, I'm sitting here with my wife, Tinker. And uh, I asked her to do a Tinker Explains. And I blanked. And you said, why don't you do one? <laughs> well, I threw out a topic and you said, I don't want to bore people to death. <laughs> well, the whole point of this show for people to listen, not turn it off. So tonight, I'm going I to... I think yours is really good, though. I'm going to be doing the explaining, or the mansplaining, if you will. Mm. Uh, Got to dumb it down for the women, if you know what I mean. Um, Wrong answer. As any as anyone who knows me for five minutes knows, I'm a big fan of uh, history, especially colonial history, New World history. Um, I think a little modern for my taste, but I'm still in, still interested. The last one you did was from the 1960s. I know, but that was different. That was Northern Ireland. Calm That's... your tits down over there, hot stuff. Um, so I'm especially fascinated, um, with trade, how trade worked in the, uh, 18th century and whatnot. And my topic was boring trade in the 18th century. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I put a little, little spice on mine though. Uh, since all trade was done by water at the time, um, are you playing a video game while I'm talking about this? No, I told you. I'm looking at the Mexican. <laughs> um, there was a time when piracy ruled the waves, um, and there were there were many well known pirates. Uh, you know, people like Bart Rob- Bartholomew Roberts or Black Bart, who was uh, who reportedly captured over 400 ships, and you had guys like Henry Avery who had one big score by knocking over uh, a caravan of ships headed to Mecca. Oh, that was smart. And he robbed them all of gold and jewels and lived to enjoy the riches. But there's one man who, when you mention pirates, everyone thinks of. And he was born around 1680, we think. And that's going to be a big thing in this whole episode. There's going to be a lot of conjecture, mm. and you need to enjoy this whole thing mm-hmm. with a big old, a big old helping of, of salt. Uh, actually, we don't, even, we, don't, we don't really don't know what his actual name was. Um, some think it was Edward Teach. Some think it was Edward Thatch. Go ahead. You want to be this person so bad you can't stand yourself. Well. Because nobody knows anything about him. (laughs) So in Bristol, England, in six around 1680, this man was born. And you all know him better by the name Blackbeard. Da-da-da-da! Um, he... From what we know of his youth, we they believe his dad was a privateer during the Dutch Wars and possibly died during those. His mother remarried, and from things found, they think that he may have been abused by his stepfather uh, because it's believed that he signed on as a cabin boy when he was 16. Um, so very, very early age. What about the Dutch War? What's the Dutch War? I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. That's They were at that war was over with there. the Dutch. <laughs> the Dutch were involved. At Probably this, at, at this trading time, company. At this East time, India it was England, uh, the Netherlands, and France and Spain were always pissing each other off at some point. And the Netherlands referred to themselves as the Dutch. As the Dutch, yeah. And, and Portugal was in there as well. Yeah. It was a big, big shipping uh, nation. Not as... Not, didn't get as much into South the South America. Yeah, they stayed down there. Um, 
Well, they, they did Africa. shipping. They did they, shipping to yeah. to uh, to the New World as well, uh, even in South Carolina. A lot of because South Carolina. We'll get into that later. South Carolina was very rich at this time, especially Charlestown or Charleston today. Um, so there are questions about his family, about what what started, what what went, what really went on there. But Bristol itself was a huge slave port. Um, I think not, they have a museum there now in Bristol. Oh, dedicated, yeah. Well, not only um, or or statue something there, something in Bristol. It, it started off started off as a uh, English. Are we talking Br- Bristol, England? Yes. Okay. It started off as a English and Irish slave port where they were sold out, and later on it became an import hub for African slaves, or it was as it was called among sailors and pirates. It was called Black Ivory because they were they were that yeah. valuable. They were more valuable than gold. Um, and so he started serving around 16. Um, he worked as, it's believed that he worked, started to work as privateer. Um, and for those who say, well, what's a privateer? A privateer is a pirate um, that's sanctioned by a government. A more modern one would be uh, John Paul Jones, the American. He he did a lot of. Lot Not of, the Led Zeppelin bass player. No. <laughs> He'd be he'd be a very fascinating so one to talk about. Pretty too. awesome too. He was a badass. Um, they believed that I'm gonna call him Edward Teach um, or Blackbeard. Started serving around 16, uh, arrived at Port Royal, which was the physical and cultural center of the New World. Um, a very well developed city, just crawling uh, with with they said that the streets would. You could pretty much the, the streets were literally covered in gold from all the money that came in and out. People were just dropping and money Port everywhere. Port Royals in Jamaica, or right. was in Jamaica? Port, yeah, it, it was was yeah. <laughs> it had, had a earth a very bad earthquake that destroyed Fell the city. Off in the ocean, um, but it really was a huge port, and that's really where he served out of. They believe that he served. Um, let's see here. Served during the War of Spanish Secession, which really kick-started piracy in the New World. Yeah. Um, particularly in the American theater, which was known as Queen Anne's War. There are, If you read anything about piracy, you see a lot of terms thrown around, such as coarse air. A coarse air is just a fancy English term for a pirate, and it was a, a derogatory term. Um, also, you hear the term uh, buccaneer. Mm. Uh, a buccaneer were... Typically, sailors of French descent who were hunters and uh, meat cooks who worked out of uh, Tortuga and other uh, and uh, Montserrat, other other French uh, ports in the New World, and uh, they were known for for hunting and cooking meat and sailing it uh, sell, selling it to sailors that were passing, and that's where we get the term. Barbecue. Barbecue. Yum, 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 yum. Barbecue came from Bukinia. Um, And so that's where we get that term from. I know you hate the very core of your being because you love something so much that is of French descent. <laughs> the French can cook. I'll give them that. Well, they ain't scared to use some butter. No. Uh, and you say, well, how did these French cooks become synonymous with pirates? Because these ships would pull into port to buy meat from them. And then they would say, you know what, pull out guns, just give us your ship. Yeah. And so they made more money from robbing these sailors than they did actually selling the meat they had. Yeah. Go figure. Um, during this time, um, the war of Spanish secession ended. And uh, it went on for, I think, 12 years, I believe. It was a, long, it was a pretty was long, long war. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was necessarily just super bloody and huge, but it, that involved Florida. Right, us or uh, Florida no longer being under Spanish Spanish rule. rule. Um, it, it was it was kind of it was a weird it was, it was one, a it was weird the, war. It was one of the first wars that was really fought in the new mm-hmm. world on behalf of uh, European powers. Two European powers and not one European power trying to overtake a native population. Right. Uh, so you think um, two sets of white folks fighting each other? Yeah. Just I mean, you you think of uh, these. These natives throughout the Caribbean and into the Americas, they had no stake in this war, you know, 
and and they just brought this European Trade war. one master for another. They brought this European war and fought it in the islands and on the mainland, the Spanish main, up into the Ameri- up into uh, what we know as the United States today. So at the end of at the end of uh, the war of Spanish secession, you got to remember both these sides had hired all these privateers. So you have tons of sailors everywhere throughout throughout the Caribbean, throughout the Americas, and the war ends, and now you have mass unemployment. By, you have mass unemployment of people who have been trained in warfare. <laughs> and man, by the way, with the way privateers worked was you got hired by a European country, whether it be England or Spain or whoever, and they gave you that letter of mark. That means you have the right to go sink any ship mm-hmm. of, of the enemy country. And uh, you got paid because you got to keep 25% of what mm-hmm. was on that ship. But there really was no way to prove how much was on the ships. You can say, yeah. oh, this ship didn't have anything on it. And it could be loaded mm-hmm. down with sugar or flour or gold or well, anything Well, it was else. the Spanish galleons they were all after. Not, not necessarily. I mean, you have to remember, there were so many ships coming over. There were slave ships they were trying That's to true. pick off. Uh, there was sugar. Sugar and salt alone was worth a lot of sugar, money. Sugar, definitely. And then plus you had spices coming from the, the East Indies, mm-hmm. coming to the West Indies. Uh, which were very valuable. Oh, plus m- worth more than their weight in gold. Plus, just luxuries like like silk and gold and things like that. Well, metal pots, pans, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. So, the war Spanish succession ends. All these privateers who had been laid out with all kinds of gold and all the money they could Im- imagine, all of a sudden they they have to stop mm-hmm. being privateers, and the king is not. The king's like, I've got nothing to do with you now. We're done. And plus, the king of England at this time was now broke after fighting this war with Spain. Was this James or Charles? George, I believe it's not. George I. Mm-hmm. See, I don't keep up with all, all the inbred fuckers over there. That's your job. No, George. George was already on the throne by the first of the 1700s, like the 1710s. Okay. I'm just telling you what yeah, I Yeah, no, no. I've got my I'm I'm off. Like I'm off somehow. Okay. So I was thinking Elizabeth with the privateers. That's probably on me because I was thinking Elizabeth the first. So uh it's seventeen thirteen they signed this the Treaty of Uric, is that correct? Utrecht. Or Utrecht, thank you. <laughs> See, I don't know this shit. They signed that treaty and that's that ends the war of Spanish Secession. So they believe around 1716 is when Blackbeard decided to turn pirate. Um, so sometimes between 1713 and 1716, he leaves Port Royal. It heads to an island known as New Providence, which is in modern day New Providence, the Bahamas, a town called Nassau. Nassau had been, had been uh, set up by the English, and it had eventually been abandoned from constant attacks from the French and Spanish. But there was still some stuff left there, so they had something to start from. Um, Blackbeard at this time joins up with Benjamin Hornigold, and they set up what's known as the Republic of Pirates in Nassau. Um, Something important to point out is that a pirate ship was probably the first actual democracy we had in the new world. Um, There was an actual pirate's bill of rights to protect them on the ship where men had a vote and who the captain was. Men had a right to a certain cut depending on what their status was on the ship. Um, We think of piracy as uh, swinging from ropes, swashbuckling, uh, giant, like Spanish galleon style ships. And they weren't fast though. They that wasn't the truth. Uh, pirates typically chose small ships, known as sloops. Uh, number one, just for their speed, and number two, uh, it had a much more shallow uh, keel. 
uh, or hull. So they could go, it could go into those inlets and shallows to get away from the bigger man of wars and, and frigates. Sounds very Vikingish. Yes. Very, well, actually, they had uh, like their quote unquote lifeboats were almost similar to a smaller long ship that a Viking would use. Which is, I think that's very interesting with the small ships because that is going back to Sir Walter Raleigh and Francis Drake during the Elizabethan era, during the Elizabethan age, when they defeated the Spanish Armada. Is because they had smaller, faster, mm-hmm. more maneuverable ships. It wasn't always about firepower. No, very about, rarely. It was about yeah. knowing. Um, you get to remember also, Blackbeard at this time uh, had spent you know a number of years now on the sea. He was people think that he may have came from a rich background because he was such a good navigator. I personally believe he just spent so much time around yeah. ships, especially in a port town like Bristol, and then signing on at such a young age. Um, and sometimes people just have a knack for yeah. things too. I mean, I think people who live on the on islands, oh, they're always going to be they're much better more in tune with, yeah. with the it's with in their the, blood with their the ocean DNA. and whatnot. Um, so he goes with Benjamin Hornigold. Uh, they go to Nassau. They set up the Republic of Pirates, and it is just a tavern town. That's all it is. Uh, Nassau is very. Uh, peculiar in the fact that it has a natural harbor and so there's only one way in and one way out they could see ships coming mm-hmm. um it was pr- it and was to protected. this day you can still see the cruise ships coming in oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> to this day you can sit out sit on, on the beach and you can Watch see the, the, the top of cruise they, ships coming towards as you. they get bigger and bigger and bigger uh so nassau was very advantageous not just because of its natural features like it's its natural harbor but it's also within striking distance are those crucial trade routes through the Strait of Florida, mm-hmm. right where the Bahamas and Florida and Cuba meet, right through that little triangle. There's a strait that goes between the tip of Florida along the Keys into Cuba, uh, and that was a crucial trading route for Spain especially um, because they would go uh, mine in the Spanish mainland, like through Central mm-hmm. and Southern America uh, with gold and silver, they would ship the raw materials to Havana where it would, the ore would be melted down and put into ingots of gold bars or silver bars, yeah. and they would sell back through that Florida, the Strait of Florida there, and that's where pirates would pick off those ships. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, you didn't know if a hurricane was coming or not. Well, I don't know. They say somebody who is familiar with an area like that, just like um, native or not native, but people who grew up in Key West, like, you know, mm-hmm. remember um, back in when was it the 20s or 30s when that the big hurricane, hurricane hit yeah. Key West? They said the locals knew because they would, there's certain things that happened. So there was probably some knowledge there, just not definitely nowhere near the extent where we have it now. Yeah. But life on a ship, uh, while you did have democracy, was very, very, very um, rough. Um, no, thank you. You were dealing with starvation. Any number of diseases, from scurvy to dysentery to everything else. Then plus you had to worry about doing your job, getting caught in the rigging, um, dying. And uh, commercial vessels at this time were no better. Uh, if you signed onto a ship, you were typically treated as a slave because where are you going to go? Yeah. Uh, they had a saying that, that cheap, labor, cheap labor never breaks. You can just find someone you else. You can find somebody new. If you kill somebody on a ship. Somebody at the next port's willing to Throw them over the on. edge and yeah. go on. Um, so life on the sea, you were really treated better as a pirate than you were on a commercial vessel yeah. owned by a country. Especially like the East India Trading Company. Oh, well, we can't even. Uh, that's a whole another barrel of monkeys I'm not going to open up. Um, so when they arrive... If anyone's interested, watch the show Taboo, by the way. Oh, yes. Yeah. Very good. Um, they arrive in Nassau, set up set up the Republic of Pirates, and from here is where you really get into the legend of Blackbeard. Um, he he teamed up with Hornigold, and they set out, and Hornigold had two ships, two sloops. Um, Highfalutin. <laughs> well, that becomes a regular thing with these two. Um, 
they became very, very good friends. And Hornigold said, hey, I got the extra ship. Why don't you command it with me, and we'll head out. So around 1717, they began attacking, began doing attacks along the east coast of the U.S. So anywhere from Florida to Delaware, they would sail up the coast and back down into the Strait of Florida, hopefully pick off maybe a couple mm-hmm. Spanish ships while they're at it. And they do that for about a year or so, uh, or less than a year. Uh, they make their, their crews up and down the coast, leave the coast of the U.S., and they sail out past Hispanic. Olia, uh, which is like modern day Dominican Republic, Haiti, and go around to the Lesser Antilles, where you have St. Kitts, St. Nevs, Montserrat, Guadeloupe, and they sail down to a little island <clears throat> off the coast of a little island known as Barbados. In November of 1717, they encounter the La Concorde, which is a Guineaman slave ship. Um, that was owned by the French. Um, the one thing about slave ships are one good thing. One thing the slave ships did was build their ships for speed because you're dealing with human cargo here. So we need to get them to the port so we can get them sold and get our money. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they pull up along, along, see the, the lock and cord. They're like, you know what? This is going to be the one to get. And it seems to be a, a um, reoccurring thing with Blackbeard. He loves to attack slave ships, but there's really no evidence he ever saw. Unlike a lot of pirates, he never sold the slaves into slavery when they got the port. A lot of times he would take them as crewmen. Yeah. Because a lot of these slaves were coming from Africa warrior families. Yeah. They yeah. knew how to fight. One very famous one was a man named Black Caesar who served with Blackbeard. Mm. Um, and the dude was, you, you think of the most fierce warrior ever, and that's Black Caesar. Uh, he, st- he set up a spot in the Florida Keys at one point on Elliott Key, which is well, modern-day Elliott Key in the Keys. And allegedly he had a harem of 100 women there. He set up his own little kingdom. Uh, he was a very, very interesting guy. And so they pull up next to um, the Lock and Court, which is fitted with 16 cannons and 75 crewmen and 500 slaves below deck and 20 pounds of gold dust. Um, on the way over, 36 of the, the crewmen had died with scurvy and dysentery. And they had lost 61 slaves due to the disease also. Um, so they attack the Lock and Cord. They take it. They drop them on a small island there close to Barbados mm-hmm. where they unload the crewmen and the slaves that chose not, that, that chose not to be part yeah. of the crew with Blackbeard. And he left them the sloop. And he took Lock and Cord. At this time, he refitted the Lock and Cord um, with what's believed to be up to 40 cannons. Shit. Which... 20 on each side? 20 on each side. Uh, most pirate ships, on average, had between 10 to 15 cannons on a sloop. But Blackbeard turned this monstrous ship into a, a rolling, sailing artillery platform. And at this time, he changed the name from La Concorde to the Queen Anne's Revenge. Now I have that song stuck in my head. <laughs> um, well, I think it's fascinating, his whole thing with the slaves. Um, inviting people, if you want to join. Um, not only was it probably the right, it is the right thing to do, but he also knew that those people would have an unwavering lo- loyalty to yes. him. Um, and, you know, rightfully so. And... It makes you wonder about his past. That's what a lot of people said. I thought may, he may have been sold into indentured servitude. That's as a child. exactly what I was thinking. Or I believe he may have actually he witnessed the sheer mm-hmm. brutality of the slave markets from living in Bristol his entire yeah. life. Something there's there's something there. There are modern day historians now who are trying to fabricate claims that he sold off his crew members once he got to South Carolina, but there is zero evidence of that. 
ever happening. Well, it doesn't make sense because why would you sell off your crew that had been working with you? He accepted his pardon. We'll, we'll get into that later. Okay, never mind. But just so it's clear, there's some documentary on Netflix and some green-haired woman who decided to write a book about slavery is trying to paint Blackbeard as a huge uh, slave master and everything, and that is absolutely unfounded. There is no, There are a lot of pirates who did, who did yeah. that on a regular basis. Jean Lafitte, an American hero during the War of 1812, the Battle yeah. of New Orleans. But he lived and died by picking off slave ships, mm-hmm. bringing them to New Orleans, and selling Sell all the slaves off. off. A lot of pirates did that, but there is zero evidence that Blackbeard ever did that. Simply because we don't know a lot about the man. And it could be it was just a moral thing with him, too. I mean, you don't know. Uh, due to him naming the ship the Queen Anne's Revenge, it's safe to say he was probably a Jacobite. Mm-hmm. Do you know, do you want to explain what Jacobites are? Or I can in a couple sentences. It's up to you. You're probably better because I will go into a half-hour diatribe <laughs> about what a Jacobite and a, that it's a Latin term and James. A, and A Jacobite is a person who believed that the House of Stuart should be reinst- should be reinstated over the House of Hanover in England. Yes, that's simple enough for you. Um, Queen Anne was the last uh, the last ruling member of the House of Stuart who had passed away in seventeen fourteen. So now Blackbeard has got this gigantic ship. It also makes me wonder too if maybe his. Mother, father, I don't know, family might have been Scottish. Scottish. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more on his mother's side. Yeah, Scottish from, from transplants to Bristol. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got this gigantic ship now, absolutely just teeming with cannons. And a fuck you attitude. <laughs> and a big fuck you attitude. And he had a group of men working for him who were loyal. And you cannot, there's nothing else better than you can do. These men were were ready to sail with him to the gates of hell and go down with him. Yeah. Um, For the next year, he seemed to, from what we read, from what I read, he prowled kind of up and down the Lesser Antilles there. Yeah. And he made his way back down to Barbados, and he ran into the HMS Scarsborough, which was a man-of-war pirate hunter ship. A man-of-war ship was... I assume an English... Yes, English ship. Uh, his HMS. Hey, that's why I was saying I was assuming, but... <laughs> so, you have, like, a, a man-of-war ship, and you have, like, ships of the line. Those, yeah. are, those are, like, I think of a modern-day battleship, just yeah. ready to go to war. And he ran into one of these and fended them off. Little this, tidbit, HMS stands for His Majesty's Ship or Her Majesty's Ship, depending on if it's a king or a queen. Who's on the at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so this ragtag group of pirates fended off and caused to retreat one of the best, one of the top style ships, top class of ships that the British had in their entire, their entire fleet. Yeah. So these men weren't just a bunch of drunken, drunk pirates. Yeah, these no. guys were skilled at what they did. Did they have to be sober if they were on a boat? Like, while they were on the sea, they were sober. Now, when they that went was, to port, they may get, they had their fun. But on sea, on the sea, you're you're sober. That was part of the Bill of Rights as well. They okay. got a ration every day. Yeah. Um, also very interesting, I found out, was um, lights out at 8 o'clock on the ship. Oh, I get in trouble every night. <laughs> if, if down, down, in, down in, in the, uh, the berthing. Eight o'clock, all lamps and candles had to be extinguished. If you had something you wanted to do after that, you had to go to the top deck and do it there. Here's just, a question. Is part of that just conservation of resources? I think a lot of it was just so the men would be rested and ready yeah, to go yeah, the next day. Yeah. I think that was the big Or, or thing. nobody falling asleep with a lit candle. Right. Or oil lamp. What's one of the, what's one of the biggest hazards at sea? Fire. Catch, catching on, catching your ship on fire. You know. Um, so, yeah, they, they were rationed. Food. They got. A, they had. A, in the Bill of Rights had a ration of rum, ration of water. Um, men could also get married on pirate ships. 
as long as they didn't have sex. It wasn't same-sex relationships they had a problem with. It was what they called buggery. Mm. So, um, Sodomy is another right. word for it. Um, if, if I served on the pirate ship with, with a, a friend of mine, and we became very, very close, and I was afraid that something was going to happen in an upcoming battle, I could marry him on the ship. And if I got killed in the battle, or if he got killed in the battle, he got your, I got his cut or he got my cut. It was a way of, of assuring. It that, was like a civil partnership. Yes, very much so. Uh, same-sex marriage wasn't frowned upon. It was it was okay as long as there was no hanky-panky going on. Yeah. Um, for some reason, in 1718, Benjamin Hornigold, do you remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, he split with with Blackbeard. Well. It's not sure if it was a a mutual understanding or if they had some big falling out. Uh, but in 1718, Benjamin Hornigold splits with, with uh, Blackbeard and sails back to Port Royal and accepts a royal pardon and becomes England's brand-new pirate hunter. Interesting. So it makes you... It, yeah, that's in like my the little wheels are turning. Yeah. Like that could be... That could be, fuck you, Blackbeard, I'm out. Or it could be Blackbeard was like, man, I, if they offer me that, I can't say I wouldn't yeah. take... You know, you don't know. Um, while around... While sailing around <clears throat> uh, Barbados, he ran into another man by the name of Steed Bonnet. Mm. Uh, the Steed, gentleman pirate. Steed was known as the gentleman pirate. Steed was a very weird man to say, to say the very least. Um, Didn't he come from like came from immense wealth yeah. in Barbados? Uh, family owned a fifty-acre sugar plantation, um, which he was born into. Yeah, um, he was the only person. Okay, he I think he lost either two or three wives to disease. And they believe he had a mental break at some point. I, I could see that. He got remarried and then one day just got. The heat of Jamaica could drive you to do crazy things. <laughs> well, he went in Jamaica. He was in Barbados. Oh, Barbados. Still hot. Um, No Rihanna what, down there yet. He, <laughs> bad times. Um, He woke up one day and got a wild hair up his ass and went and bought a ship and paid for a crew and said, fuck it, I'm going to become a pirate. And he had... How old was he? I'm not sure. Would it have been like a midlife crisis, maybe? That's one of the things, that he just had an absolute midlife crisis. Another thing was, he might have just lost his mind from the mental break he had. Another thing is, he's probably tired of his nagging wife and got on the ship and just left her. But... Or tired of the responsibilities of running a 50-acre sugar plantation or uh, getting get an argument with mama or daddy. just could be anything. His, parent, his parents died when he was really young, from what I read. So he took over the plantation at a, at a young Interesting, age. Interesting, because that probably plays into it, too. Yeah. He had no real hold there. He had no family. Yeah, all they had was that land. Yeah. And money. Yeah. That he didn't know what to do with. Um, he, he was the only pirate. They paid his crew a salary. Rather than a cut, so he he hired these men and said, "Look, this is how much you're going to make a month." Yeah, if you want to, and he had no experience at all in sailing, a pirate who didn't know how to sail. He knew to recruit the right people, though. but he had the money to back up his endeavors. Yeah, so they don't know if he, if he was just going He's crazy. The Elon Musk of his day, or he might have just been a guy who saw that he was getting close to forty and was like, "Fuck, I ain't done shit with my life but sit on this island mm-hmm. and, and farm." Sugar. Or he dreamed of getting away. Yeah. Could have been anything. But yeah, he hired his crew with a salary rather than a, a cut of what they Because that took. doesn't sound like the move of someone who's having a mental breakdown. That's a pretty shrewd business move. So along this time, Steed encounters Blackbeard. And... Hey, what's up? It was... Blackbeard didn't really take control of his, of his sleep, which was called the revenge for some reason. What is he avenging? I have no clue. Well, that's, um, you don't know the story. There may be no, something there. He was trying to be a hard ass. Well. <laughs> he's trying to be. So he meets him with it. He's like, Hey, why don't you come on my ship 
and let one of my guys run your ship and you just roll with us. He was considered a permanent guest on the Queen Anne's Revenge, which is a kinder, more gentler term for a prisoner. He may have gotten in and realized he was over his head. <laughs> I think that's what really happened. Um, and so... Or, you know, black, people like Blackbeard are natural leaders. Mm-hmm. They're charismatic. They draw people to yeah. them. Just so, like any anybody, any leader. So by 1718, word has spread. And I don't mean just around the Lesser Antilles or around the southern U.S. There are articles being written about Blackbeard in Boston about his exploits on the Spanish Main. <laughs> because Blackbeard leaves uh, Barbados and sails all the way over to Central America and starts just picking off Spanish ships who are God, loaded down. <laughs> who are just he's loaded smart down. And he's got balls, man. Um, he was. There's not a lot of true, for sure, quotes contributed to Blackbeard, but he was known to say, "If a man plays the fool, then it's only fools he'll persuade." But if he can appear to be the devil, then all men will submit. That's true. So that's governing. Well, he didn't govern his ship that way, but governed by fear. He became a true master of psychological warfare, which we all know if you if you've studied any kind of warfare, the battle begins in the mind. Uh, Sun Tzu said it in the Art of War. If you can convince. If you can convince your enemy that there are many when there are few, that you're to the left flank instead of the right flank, you can win every single war. Um, his, the Spanish had a name for him. El, El Gran Diablo, Diablo which El means Gran the Diablo. great devil. Um, he got this because, number one, they believe he was around 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, oh, that was... John at that he time. He was a giant of a man. And not just tall, he was broad. See, that makes me think he probably does have Scottish background because they tend to be taller than the right. English. So here is this giant of a man. Imagine you're on a Spanish ship and... Everybody else around you is probably 5'7 <laughs> at best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So say, say like you're a Spaniard, you're on your ship, and you see the top... Here's another thing that Blackbeard would do. He would never break the horizon. He would. And what ne- does that mean? He would know where these ports were at. He was very. He knew the sea so well throughout the Caribbean. He would sit just below the horizon, like knowing the back roads in your hometown. Exactly. He would sit. He knew how much distance it was to the next port, and he would yeah. sit below the horizon where he couldn't be seen and wait for those ships to come out. And once they broke that horizon, and they could see him. He would hoist his late. flag. Blackbeard's flag alone told you a lot about the man. It's, Can we just say you have it on your hat? I do right have now? it on my hat right now. <laughs> it is a black background flag, like most pirate flags were. It's a horned skeleton of the devil, holding a wine glass and a toast in his right hand, and a spear piercing a heart with the left. And there's drips of blood coming off. The sim. Biology is number one. This man worships. You think about how superstitious sailors oh, all, were. All sailors. Yeah, everything to is this about. Day. Everything's about. Don't leave port on a Friday because mm-hmm. that's the day Christ died on. There are crucifixes on every ship. There's. You don't want to piss off God, and or that, the gods, or whoever, or whoever you worship. But among the Europeans, it's yeah. don't piss off God. Yeah. And then you see this ship coming. Which all towards comes you. from older superstitions, but. And then you see a ship coming towards you with a skeleton of Satan yeah. holding a wine glass in one hand and a spear piercing a heart with the, the drips coming off of it. The drips, the drips of a bleeding heart symbolizes on this ship, it's a long, agonizing death. Blackbeard never has never been, there was no record of him ever killing anyone personally. Other than maybe in battle? In battle happens. Yeah, yeah, but not outside of those parameters. He was not a brutal man, but he knew the psychology of making someone fear death. And so... 
That sounds very Spartanish because that's how the Spartans were. Like they were from formidable force, but their reputation preceded. Them. Yes, yep. yes. And so here's the ship coming towards you. It's pulled up alongside you. It's firing warning shots over your bow, not even hitting your ship because they want that ship. Yeah, they're Don't not going to destroy that it. Yeah, they're shooting warning shots over the bow. As it pulls up, a man comes out who's taller than anybody you've ever seen in your entire life. Big. Broad shoulders. He's got this black beard that comes down over his chest that is braided with red ribbon. He's got blood. He's got two bracers across his chest with three pistols each. He's wearing six pistols on his chest, which was a lot of money at the time, six flintlock pistols. And then, for some reason, there is smoke pouring out of his jacket and hat. Would you not think that you're about to see Satan himself? Um, I would think that is Satan himself. So he would run slow-burning fuses underneath his hat Mm -hmm. and hide it around his hair and light them so smoke would billow out from around his face and out of his jacket. Well, let's say he came up on this ship from the horizon they're like, mm, we're out of our depth. What would he do if they surrender? Oh, he was, he, that's great. That, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that's because the best case scenario. Cannonballs are very fucking expensive. Well, <laughs> so yeah, the, and the fewer he you has could to lose use, crew. I mean, it's just best case scenario. He somebody would much rather somebody surrender. just surrender. Yeah, he, he would come aboard. Um, the people were asked or told that they were going to serve or if they wanted to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who really, what they call press ganging, you, you force them to come on. They looked for carpenters, coopers, skilled surgeons, uh, anybody who had a mm-hmm. skill like that. If you were a surgeon on a ship, you better hope you'll never get caught because yeah. you're going to be you're going to be coming becoming a pirate whether you like it or not. But if they got on the pirate ship, would it be one of those things like we got to treat this person? Oh yeah, well. he, he would have like the best. And he get his own yes, share yes, of yes, everything. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um. So. He, like I said, he was known as El Gran Diablo. He was the great devil of the Caribbean. What would happen to the other, let's say there are people that he didn't want and didn't want to join. Oh, he what would, would t- happen? Take the cargo and cut the ship loose. Oh, so he would just basically rob the ship and let the people yeah, go on. Um, okay. You know, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he, all the, he didn't give a shit about fighting. All he wanted was the gear. He, yeah. want, he wanted to make money because he's got a crew to feed and to pay. Yeah. Um. Somewhere around the spring of 1718, he really did his boldest move ever when he went and blockaded Charlestown, South Carolina, or today Charleston. Um, He pulled up with his three ships. This is so badass. This is like (laughs) if it were in a movie, you wouldn't believe it. Like you would think it's too far. It's so Captain Jack Sparrow. He pulled up uh, with his three ships and blockaded the port of Charleston. Um. And the reason why was because he needed medicine for his men because they were sick. And he told, let's see here, he told, uh, he told the mayor, like, hey, look, at this time a ship was coming into port from, from oh, no, hang on a minute, it was going um, the Crowley. They were leaving Charleston, going back to London, and he intercepted the ship. Took, and it was all the high society people of, of Charlestown. And he put him on his ship and sent and sent word. He knew what was going on. This wasn't just a random yeah, thing. You know, Charleston was very rich this time. Oh, it was super wealthy. You're talking about all the firearms, mm-hmm. all, all the greatest goods from London came to Charleston. Um, and he sent word that he needed medicine for his men. And if he didn't get it in two days, he was going to cut off all the heads of these people and send them to the mayor of Charlestown. Was it mayor or governor? The mayor okay, of the city. Okay, okay. And so he sent um, a couple people from the crew, a couple people from the people he captured to get the medicine, along with a few pirates, to make sure they didn't run away. Uh, the two days expired, and they still hadn't returned. But Blackbeard, being Blackbeard, didn't want to kill anybody. Well, if you kill your people, your <laughs> you your, lose partner, your leverage. Yeah, you don't have any leverage after that. So he waited an extra day, and they showed back up. And when they asked why it took so long. They told him that the pirates got drunk and he couldn't find them to get back to the ship. Typical but he pirates. wasn't happy with that pirate, and so or that crew member. Um, they brought him a chest of medicine. Uh, 
this could be any number of diseases, but what's, oh, yeah. what's truly believed it was was probably syphilis. Because once they found, when they found they Blackbeard's ship, they found the uh, urethral syringes, which are mm. metal syringes with a little, it didn't have an actual needle, it was a little crooked little funnel. And they would put that in the men's urethra and inject mercury directly into the penis, hopefully, hoping to, to cure syphilis. Well, then you didn't die of syphilis, you, you died, died of mercury, mercury poisoning. poisoning right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> again, Blackbeard showing that he cared for his men. He held up one of the richest cities in colonial America just to get just to get medicine for him to help him make yeah. him feel better. Um, let's see where I get. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Okay, at this point, he decided that um, this is a lot of conjecture. Some people say he did this on purpose. Some people say it was an absolute accident. They're not sure. But he goes to Beaufort Inlet, North Carolina. Beaufort? Beaufort. Okay. Beaufort Inlet. And he was going to careen the Queen Anne's Revenge. Careening is when you, you pull in uh, into shallow water at high tide. And once the tide drops, you take the ship off to its side so you can clean all the barnacles mm-hmm. and all that stuff that slow you down. And clean all that off. Just ship maintenance. Right. Um, what they would do, like dry docking now, where they'd pull mm-hmm. it up and pull it mm-hmm. out of the water. Didn't have a lot of that back then. No. And so... Um, and then he wouldn't necessarily just want to pull up to the nearest port <laughs> that had something. <laughs> um, so he goes to Kareem, the Queen's Revenge, and runs it aground. Oh, I bet he was pissed at no, himself. Um, they believe this was done on purpose. Oh, and so they use the revenge, which belonged to Steve Bonnet, who was still with him, to pull this out, and it ran aground too. And so he left Steed and like three hundred men marooned to go get go get help. <laughs> okay. Um. I, at some point, um, Steed was captured, and um. The trial records were really sad. They usually are. He uh, was convicted of piracy. Mm. I think they delayed his execution eight times because the people would cry out to have mercy on him because he was so pathetic. Sad man. That really does make you think he had mental issues. He got in over his head what happened. He 100% got in over his head. Um, And so he had his one ship left, that one sloop, the Adventure, and he decided to go to, um, let's see here, he decided to go to North Carolina. North Carolina was as rich as South Carolina and Virginia was. North Carolina was that poor. Yeah. It was a very rural area. Didn't have a Mountainous. Lot, didn't have a lot of yeah. commerce yet. Yeah. You know, a few farmers, you know, plus you had the Native Americans were still mm-hmm. there, you know. And so he goes to the uh, the governor of North Carolina, Charles Eden, and accepts accepts the pardon that King George offered everybody. King George I said, any, any pirate who will come forward and stop and promise to stop piracy can receive this pardon, but they can't do any more piracy afterwards. And so, what are you racking your brain about? What happened to the 300 men he marooned? Oh, I'm sure they got caught with Steed. So he just abandoned them. Some believe that he did. He it was all an accident, and a lot of people, most people, believe that he did this to cut his crew so he could go get the pardon. He was done. Mm, I could see either. Yeah. How, how about what age do they think he was at this time? At this time, I mean, he was probably in his mid to late thirties. So very, very old for a pirate or any sailor, really, to yeah. still be going at it. Um, but still young in life. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking he was at least 10, 15, 20 years older than that. No, he's, he's still a pretty young guy. Yeah. Yeah. But old, Could still have a life. Old for a pirate. Yeah. And so he accepts the, the pardon from, from, uh, governor Charles Eden and starts a life on land. There's a lot. Here we go. Conjecture. Get, yeah. A lot of salt. Here we go. Um, some folks claim that he had around 14 wives spread out throughout North Carolina. 
the most popular belief is that he had a, he married a 16-year-old girl, um, which wasn't uncommon at the time. That was very common at the time. <clears throat> and they believe he might have had a possible daughter because uh, they found some writings that might have been his. And at one point in the writing, he had wrote, Angelica, my beautiful daughter, you're the one good thing I've done in this life. Mm-hmm. But they don't. You, yeah, you can't. You can't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um but after he accepted the pardon, he acquired a letter of Mark from the English to become a privateer. So he refits the adventure, and out they go, quote-unquote, privateering. I'm still bothered that he marooned the 300 people, even if it was his way to get away. Those were your men that you were loyal to you, and you just abandoned them. Yeah, they were Steed's men, though. Were they all Steed's men, or were they no, his men? Steed was his prisoner. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> he just abandoned all these yeah. people and left them, so he could go. Cut ties. Could he? Uh, so much better way to handle that, but whatever. Um. So he decided to refit the adventure, and as we all know, old habits die hard. Old habits really never die. Um. He began picking off ships of every flag. Whether they be Portuguese, Spanish, English, English didn't care. Um, at one point, he quote unquote found a French ship mm. around um, was it around Bermuda that was packed to the gills full of sugar and cocoa. Do you know how much money That's all that shit just the cocoa alone would be worth? Like, yeah. That's, 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 you would never have to work another day in your life, money. Charles Eden, so you know, the guy who gave him, the governor, who gave him the pardon in North Carolina, since he gave him the letter of Mark, he got a cut of anything that Blackbeard brought back to He's just as shrewd as Blackbeard. That's why people fought for those appointments. They became such good friends, and so Charles Eden would just kind of turn a blind eye as long as he was getting paid. But Blackbeard had made an enemy and didn't even know it. A man by the name of Governor Alexander Spotswood, who was the governor of Virginia. And he was not a fan of pirates going up and down the Virginia coast. You think? (laughs) I don't think I would have been either. Picking off all his slave ships. And all, all these crops, like tobacco and cotton, leaving Virginia, yeah. headed back to England. Well, Alexander got tired of his shit. I imagine so. He commissioned two sloops to capture him for piracy after the pardon. So, uh, Governor Spotswood put Lieutenant Robert Maynard into command of the ships to hunt down Blackbeard. Blackbeard is set up a little headquarters yeah. on an area called uh, Ocacoke Island, which is part of the Tidewater yeah. area there mm-hmm. around North Carolina. And is it around like Cape Hatteras and all that? I think it's, I think it's around Cape Fear, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Okay. I okay. could be wrong, but it's, it's you know, on, on, in the Tidewater area. Um, and Lieutenant Robert Maynard tracked him down to Ocacoke Island and saw him on the the ocean. Unfortunately, this is the most information we have about Blackbeard's entire life is this six minutes. Yeah. And it's so sad. All we know is his death. That's usually how it is. You don't know the life leading up to it. It's the one time where you had multiple reliable sources Mm -hmm. of all those soldiers and sailors on the ship. Yeah. They had to give their report back to, to Governor mm-hmm. Spotswood. So this yeah. is what we know the best. As they approached, <clears throat> as they approached, Lieutenant Maynard asked him to drop his flag and, and put up a white flag. Yeah. Let's not, you need to come with me. And this is Blackbeard's most known quote. He, he yelled back, may damnation seize my soul. If I give you quarter, or it should take mine if I give you any. He's saying, I'd rather go to hell 
then give then give you a chance to get me. No quarter. And so, um, as they approached, Blackbeard saw the deck was almost empty. With he had he had no men on the ship with him. Yeah. Maybe twenty guys on the deck with muskets. Shit. And Blackbeard's like, oh, I got a I got a hundred men on my ship. Yeah. We're about we're about to take out an English pirate hunter. Yeah. Adrenaline rush. Pulls up, they fire off shots, and just obliterate this English ship. Tear it to shreds with cannon fire. They pull up next, throw the grappling hooks, pull them in. As Blackbeard and his quartermaster land on the deck, the bottom bow flaps open up, and about 75 British soldiers come out onto the deck, fully armed with muskets and... Red coats. Red coats. Ready to go. Um, he was shot six times and still kept coming toward Lieutenant Maynard. It's adrenaline. Allegedly, uh, a man came behind him and hit him right where the neck meets the shoulder with a Mm -hmm. sword. And when he turned to attack that guy, Lieutenant Maynard came back around with his sword and hit the same spot and cut his head clean off. So this entire life... You got to remember, his this, is, this all happened in two years. That was his entire piracy career. Really, it was two years. Did not realize that. Even though we just talked about it, I did not. That just never. So this happened on November twenty second, seventeen eighteen. That was the day he died. Um, after decapitating him, uh, Lieutenant Maynard took the head of Blackbeard and tied it to the. Spirit, which is that long thing at the very front of the ship, mm-hmm. tied it to the bow spirit and threw the body overboard. And legend says that the body of Blackbeard swam around the ship six times before sinking. I don't know if I believe that. It's a legend. Yeah. Um, what happened to his head, we really don't know. It's, Somebody got it as a souvenir. We know for I. sure. The governor probably. It was put on a pike. Oh, well, yeah, that for, absolutely happened. For about a year. And then there were rumors that uh, someone in Governor Spotswood family took the skull and had it incorporated into a punch bowl. That is, I, I totally believe that. Now, um, it's probably still somewhere in somebody's, it's hidden away somewhere. Attic. Yeah. <laughs> um, Being used at some PTA Halloween. <laughs> um, on November 21st, 1996, which was almost 278 years to the day, they discovered the Queen Anne's Revenge off the coast of Mm -hmm. North Carolina. Um, Which was so, it was, I mean, almost, so he died on November 22nd, 1718, and they found the ship on November 21st, 1996. It was confirmed for sure he is like in 2011. Yeah. Um, it was a salvage crew out of Miami who had been searching for it for a long time, and and they found it, and they were able to recover all these cannons. Well, you think about all the little islands and inlets, mm-hmm. and or if the island or inlet even still existed, because a lot of those disappear after hurricanes. That's the, a miracle. How much the tides moved there yeah. around those inlets and whatnot. Um, they recovered all the cannons. They recovered. Uh, they found the the syringes, the syringes for the, mm-hmm. the mercury. And um, that was the tale of Blackbeard. <laughs> Shit. That was really good. Really, really good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I did. I did. I did not realize the span was so short. Oh, yes. I mean, mo- most of these pirates had a, uh, a very short lifespan for good or for, or for bad. Um, <laughs> After hearing all that, it really makes me think. Blackbeard looked like Keith Richards in the Pirates of the Caribbean movie <laughs> because you know he's so tall and it just he's not a barrel of a man, but that I could just that he had that attitude probably. If you're interested in any kind of uh, media things of that nature, you're not going to get a lot of really good history about this because so much of it is just guesswork. Um, there was one book written in 1724 by a man of the name Charles Johnson called A General History of Pirates. It has, it's been printed and reprinted a bunch of times, 
but a lot of those stories could really fall into legend. Well, I was going to say, he wrote a book to sell, so a lot of it's probably not well, real. They also believe that Charles Johnson wasn't even really a person. Oh, well, that they would make it They believe it could more. possibly actually be Daniel Defoe who wrote Robinson Crusoe. That could make sense. It'd be his there are ghostwriter. A, there are a lot of media that, sh- that portrays Blackbeard, Black Sails, which is on, mm-hmm. on Stars. Um, I believe he was mentioned on the show several times because it's set around Nassau in the area. Uh, if you're into video games, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Um, Blackbeard is an, a, a big part of that game. Not that Hango was ever obsessed with that. <laughs> I didn't put 50 hours in that game. No. Mm-mm. And in that game, you actually get to help him do the blockade of Charlestown. Oh, I remember you playing it. <laughs> and me cousin. God damn it, they yeah. saw me again. Yeah. Um, no, Blackbeard was a very interesting man. Uh, I, I, re- I really wish we had more... Hit- more legitimate history about him that we knew more about him because he was such a fascinating guy just from the legend. But I'm sure, like most things, the legend's always better than fact. Well, here's the beautiful thing about history. If you dig around in history, not even you don't even have to dig that far or, or dig that much. You always come across a character that fascinates you. Usually those are the people you know the least about. Yeah. But that's why I'm always a huge advocate just because you may not be interested in, I don't know, Alfred the Great from the 800s, and doesn't mean there isn't somebody else. There may be someone that's older, newer, um, to dig and find, and and you can. It's so fascinating. Yeah. So read people, read yes. history. It's find important. All right. You got anything else tonight? Um. No. Just gotta order our Mexican food. Let's order our Mexican food. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Hango Show. Be sure to go by tripodbroadcasting.com and check out all the shows in the network. Also, be sure to visit our sponsors down in the show notes, like ebles.com, E-A-B-L-E-S, where you can save 15% on your next purchase with the promo code Hango. Also, check out mydelta8.com. Tinker, I love you, baby. Love you. And we'll see you all next time. Love all you all out there. See ya. She died while being fucked by a horse.